end of the world. There was a story about a priest and a pastor from two local churches, and they were standing by the side of the road, and they were pounding a sign into the ground, and the sign read, the end is near. The end is near. Turn yourself around now before it's too late. As a car sped past the two pastors, the driver yelled, leave us alone, you religious fanatics. From the curve, they heard screeching tires. They heard a big splash and the man yelling. And the pastor turned over to the priest and he asked, do you think the sign should just say bridge out? You'll catch it later. You'll, ca- you'll catch it. You'll catch it later. You'll, you'll get it later. Can I tell you, when it comes to end time events, it gets really complicated on trying to communicate it. It's a very complicated subject, and, and I sure don't have all the answers, don't pretend to, don't, don't know everything about the end time events in the book of Revelation. And so we all approach this topic very, very humbly. And yet my goal today is I want to help you better understand the very complicated book of Revelation. It's my goal that you would leave here today just having a better grasp or a little better understanding on what this book of Revelation is all about. Whether you're churched or unchurched, I, I trust that, that you'll just learn some things about this complicated book. And w- what I've done, just tr- to try to simplify it, and is I've divided this up into six unique events. Six unique events. And I'm going to cover a lot of information quickly as I want to hit the whole book of Revelation and overview in the next 15 minutes or so. First of all, there's the church age, the church age. And you learn about this in Revelation chapter 1 through chapter 3. That's called the church age. And, and John, who was one of the 12 disciples, was banished onto an island called Patmos because of his faith in Christ. Now, now Patmos is, is located in modern day, in between modern day Greece and Turkey. And in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10 says, John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And he had a vision or a revelation from Jesus. And Jesus said to John, I need you to write down things that were, things that are, and things that are to come. You see, the book of Revelation is a prophetic book. The majority of the book is about things to come. It's about future events. But the first three chapters are not part, not a part of the prophecy part of the book. It's not dealing with prophecy. They are dealing with things that are. It's dealing with the church age. It's about the present age in which we're living today. And those first three chapters are incredibly important because they let us know where we are as a church. And in a few moments, as we wrap up this message in a, in a few moments, I'm going to give you some adjustments that we need to make from those first three chapters. The second event that I want to quickly just, just cover with you is the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church. Now, now, last week we talked some about the rapture of the church, or that word rapture means that Jesus takes the church from the earth. So when I hear, say rapture, that's what I'm talking about, Jesus removing the church from the earth. And we learned that last week that Christians have different views on when, they, when, when this event called the rapture 
will take place. I taught you last week that, that there are some people who are pre-tribulation in their view of the rapture, which means they believe the rapture will take place before the tribulation period. If you don't know what the tribulation period is, hold on. I'm going to deal with that in just a few moments. And then there are those who believe in a mid-trib uh, rapture of the church and with strong arguments. And, and they believe in the middle of the tribulation that Jesus is going to remove the church from the earth. And then there are those who are post-tribulation in their view on, on this end time event. They believe that the church, Jesus will come back for the church at the end of the tribulation period. And, and I told you last week that here at People's Church, this is not a dividing issue at our church. There are some churches that this, this is a big deal. They make it a dividing issue. There have been denominations started. Churches have split over issues like this. And, and I told you last week that here at People's Church, we believe we're on the same team, even if we don't agree about all of the end time events. Come on, we're all followers of Jesus. We all love the Lord. We're all on the same team. And we're not going to let minutia divide us as a church. And I told you last week, and I encourage you to listen to the message, that, that I lean towards a pre-tribulation view. And I gave you several reasons why I lean that way from the Bible. And I want to just very quickly share with you another reason, one more reason why I lean personally towards a pre-tribulation view of, of, of the rapture of the church. It's very interesting. In Revelation chapter 1 through 3, 18 different times the word church or churches is used. But in chapter 4 on in the book of Revelation, the word church or churches is not used again until the Bible talks about heaven. It's not mentioned at all, not one time during the tribulation period. Now, now my personal view on why the church is mentioned 18 times in the first three chapters and not mentioned again until heaven is because the church is not here. During this tribulation period, I personally believe that it's not mentioned because the church is not on the earth. And if you see it differently, man, that, that's great. Praise God. And it's just great discussion for us to have as believers. I, the, the scripture does say this. After this church age, the very next chapter, verse 1, says this. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. After this, John said, I looked. And there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I, ha voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet, notice this, like a trumpet said, come up here. Now there are scholars that believe this is referring to the rapture of the church. After the church age, before the tribulation period begins, there's this coming up of the church. Like a trumpet said, come up here. And he goes on to say, and I will show you what must take place after this verse two at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it and the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Car Car Carnelian a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones now check this out check this out and seated on the throne were 24 elders they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. Now, now, many scholars believe this is representative of the 12 tribes of Israel, the first 24, the, the, the first 12, 12 tribes of Israel, which is, is a representative of the Old Testament church. 
And then many scholars believe that the other 12 represent the 12 disciples or the New Testament church. And I just think it's really interesting. Before the Bible gets to the tribulation period, it shows the church, the Old Testament church and the New Testament church, worshiping around the throne of God and lifting up the name of the Lord. It's just very interesting that the church is in heaven praising God. If you see it differently, that's, that's great. But I do find it very interesting in my studies. There's a third event that I want to share with you now. We looked at the church age. We looked at the rapture of the church. The third event is this, the tribulation period. The tribulation period. Now, now, hear me. Many of you may not be aware of this. Maybe you're a new Christian. Maybe you're not even a believer yet. You may not be aware of this. As you look at the book of Revelation, you need to understand that from chapter 6, beginning in chapter 6 through chapter number 19, is dealing with the tribulation period. Matter of fact, the majority of the book of Revelation is dealing with this tribulation period. And it's very complicated. When you read it, you, you find out for yourself it's complicated. There's a lot of symbolism in, in this book and in this tribulation period. And, and perhaps one of the reasons there's so much symbolism is because John, he is writing about events in the 21st century. Here he is 2,000 years removed and he's seeing events in the 21st century and trying to write and record what he sees. I mean, here a guy is seeing nuclear war, he's seeing airplane and helicopters. I mean, to somebody who's never seen a helicopter before, never heard it called a helicopter, well, he's not going to call it a helicopter. He might call it a big bird in the sky. I mean, he's using all kind of symbolism trying to write down what he's seeing, and it's very, very complicated and very difficult to understand. Now, now catch this, the tribulation period is a seven-year period that consists of three judgments that have seven parts to each of them. The first judgment is the seal judgments. You can find this, our note takers, in Revelation chapter 6, verse 1, through Revelation chapter 8, verse 6. And I'm not going to dive down into detail and get bogged down into the details of the judgments. I am going to share some principles as as we move along. The the second judgment that's mentioned is the seven trumpet judgments. And you can find that in Revelation chapter 8, verse 7, through Revelation chapter 14, verse 20. And then after that, there's the seven bowl judgments. And you find that in Revelation chapter 16, verse 1 through verse 21. So there are these three different judgments that that have seven parts to each of them. Now, Now catch this, during the beginning of the first sealed judgment, there's this person who comes on the scene and his name is the Antichrist. And you might be asking, now pastor, why would somebody be called the Antichrist? Let me tell you why. Because he is Antichrist. I'm deep, folks. If you didn't know that, I'm, I got a Bible degree and I'm deep. I mean, that was deep. It was deep. Now, now this individual is a very powerful person and has great charisma. John describes this person as a, as a person who engineers a peace agreement and promises the entire world peace and stability. Matter of fact, he even promises the nation of Israel that they can rebuild their temple. And the entire world is deceived by this antichrist. They think he's all that and a bag of chips and the entire world begins to follow the antichrist. Now, there have been a lot of guesses throughout the years on who this antichrist is. There have been some who had said that it was it was Hitler. They were wrong. He's dead. There are some who said it was Saddam Hussein. There have been others who have said that, that it's other world leaders. Oklahoma Sooner fans think it's Mac Brown, the, the University of Texas head football coach. <laughs> okay, I'm just playing, all right? That's just, that's just a joke, all right? 
Now understand that during the seven sealed judgments in Revelation chapter 7, verse 3 through 4, God raises up these group of people called the 144,000. There are 144,000 evangelists. They're not following the Antichrist. These 144,000, they're telling the world to follow Jesus. And, and catch this now. This is very key. Here's a principle I want to share with you, is that many people come to Christ through the teaching and preaching of these 144,000 evangelists. You know what jumps out at me as, as I was studying this week is even during this tribulation period, God is full of mercy. He's full of grace. He's full of patience. Even during these judgments, God is doing everything that he can to reach people. And he sends out 144,000. What a gracious God we serve. The Bible says, lets us know that many people come to Christ during this period. It says in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. Now, now just a couple of verses later, one of the 24 elders asked, Who are these people? Where do they come from? Where do this great multitude of people come from? The response in verse 14 was this. I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. I got some good news for you. Here's some good news. If you miss the rapture of the church, you can still get saved during the tribulation period. You can still give your life to Jesus during the tribulation period. That's good news. I wouldn't recommend you do it that way. But you can. Now, 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 there's a couple of reasons why I don't recommend this. Now, don't wait until the tribulation period to give your life to Christ. First of all, is you might die before then and miss your opportunity to give your life to Christ now. The second reason I wouldn't advise this is people who follow Jesus during the tribulation period, they're going to be martyred. They're going to be killed for their faith in Christ. Personally, I prefer the get saved now approach. That's just my, that's just, that's, that's just how I view it, okay? Now, now, now let, me, let me quickly, I'm going to just quickly rapid fire through some information in the next just few minutes, and then we're going to bring application and some practical things to it. Let me just quickly run through this tribulation. After the first three and a half years of the tribulation, then there's the trumpet judgments and then the seven bowl judgments, and they each get increasingly worse. Now, everyone is under this delusion that the Antichrist is an awesome leader. And then God sends these two witnesses on the scene in Revelation chapter number 11. And these two witnesses begin to preach salvation to the world. And God gives them power to do some incredible miracles. And many people come to Christ. Once again, once again, I want you to see the principle. Once again, God's heart is even during the tribulation. He wants everybody to repent. He wants everybody to follow Christ. God is long-suffering. God is, is patient. And the Antichrist ends up killing these, these two witnesses. And the Bible says that they lay in the street for three and a half days, and the entire world watches these two prophets, or these two witnesses lay in the street for three and a half days, and the entire world witnesses it. It lets me know that we're in that generation. You see, a generation before us, that couldn't happen. But now that we have satellite TV, the entire world could watch the same event like this at the same time. 
And then the Bible says the entire world watches as God raises the two witnesses from the dead and he takes them into heaven. And then people begin to turn against the Antichrist and he is fatally wounded. Uh, Then Satan, he miraculously, or or some scholars say that he stages this whole event and then stages a miraculous healing of, uh, of the Antichrist and the world once again rallies behind the Antichrist. And then the Bible says comes on the scene this guy who comes on the scene is called the false prophet and and he performs miracles and and he he deceives the world and he he influences the world to follow the antichrist at an even greater level and the bible says that that he makes an image of the antichrist and and he tells the whole world you got to worship this image of the antichrist or you're going to die and then some of you know this whole story, whether you're, you're, you're churched or unchurched. Then there's this thing called the mark of the beast that the false prophet introduces. And he says, listen, if you're going to buy and sell, you got to take this mark of the beast on your forehead, your right hand. It's the number 666. Some of you freak out about that number. You get a bank card that says 666, you give it back. I want another one. I don't, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, uh-uh, I'm not taking that. No, thank you. And the false prophet introduces this, and the only way you can buy and sell is to have this mark of the beast. And, and once again, the world rallies behind the Antichrist and the false prophet, and they go to war against God. And here's the good news, is God defeats them very easily, and he wraps it all up, the tribulation period, in the battle of Armageddon in Revelation 19, verse 19 through 21. You ought to applaud me for giving you the whole tribulation period in five minutes. Amen. I just can't. <laughs> So that's the tribulation. I gave you seven years of what takes place. Go back online and listen to it this week, and you can get detail by detail and study it for yourself. The next event is called the millennial reign of Christ. The millennial reign of Christ. Now, I didn't put this in your notes, but immediately following the tribulation period is the marriage supper of the Lamb. So immediately following the tribulation, right before this millennial reign of Christ, there's the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the church is going to eat an incredible meal with Jesus. Now, it's called the marriage supper because as a follower of Jesus, we're called the bride of Christ. And we're going to have a marriage meal with our groom, Jesus Christ. It's going to be an awesome meal. I can't wait for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Immediately following the marriage supper of the Lamb is this event I have in your notes, the millennial reign of Christ, which simply means a thousand-year reign of Christ. We're going to be with Jesus for a thousand years, not in heaven, on earth. The Bible says in Jerusalem, we're going to just be with Jesus. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be like it was in the garden when it was perfect. No sickness, no pollution, no sin. Come on, the Krispy Kreme light is on, always hot. All my golfers, you're going to make a birdie every time, huh? Oklahoma State and OU always win. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. It's the millennial reign of Christ. You can check this out in Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 through 6. Verse 1 through 6. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 through 6. After that, the next event is Judgment Day. Judgment Day. I'm going to talk to you about that next week. I call it the main event. Every person, believer, non-believer, we're going to all stand before God. And I believe I'm going to share some insightful things. What, what is it going to look like when we stand before God? What's God going to say? What are we going to say? What kind of rewards are we going to get? I think you'll be highly enlightened next Sunday as I deal with 
the judgment day, the main event. And then the sixth event is a new heaven and a new earth, and we call week five the afterlife. And you're going to learn some insights about heaven. Some of you have never heard some things about heaven that we're going to share with you week five, a new heaven and a new earth. Now, I just quickly gave you an overview of the book of Revelation. Now, what I want to do is spend the rest of my time with you focusing on chapter two and chapter three because that's where we are now. It's the only two chapters where you can do something before the tribulation period begins. The other events, they're just going to happen. You can't do anything about it. But right now, we all have a chance to respond to God's goodness and God's grace. And what Jesus does is he sends seven love letters to seven churches that are also for the church today because we're still living in the church age. And I wanna quickly review these seven letters that we can get our lives ready for the end. And I, here's what I want you to do as I review these seven letters with you. I just want you to begin to ask yourself, which church is me? And what kind of response do I need to have to what Jesus says to the church? Seven ways the church gets ready for the end. Number one is this, return to your first love. Return to your first love. He writes his first love letter to the church at Ephesus. And he says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, I don't have time to deal with everything he says to the church, but I want to deal with, with, with the adjustments Jesus tells the church they need to make. He says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lamp stand from its place. Jesus said, listen, you got to return to your first love. Return to your first love. It's kind of like when a man begins to court a woman and they start dating. You know, a lot of men will, will do a lot of things, man. They'll take her out as much as she wants to go out. Talk to her on the phone two or three hours at one time. Baby, I love you. I can't wait to see you. And man, he, every, every moment he has available, he'll spend with her. And you know how it is. He works. He does so much stuff to win her heart over. And, then, and then, then some men, once they get married and say, I do. Now, baby, I told you I loved you at the altar. And if something changes, I'll let you know, okay? But, so it's over, okay. That whole thing's over now because I got things to do, you know what I mean? And the whole courting thing stops in some relationships. And Jesus says, what's kind of happening with me? He said, man, when you first, when you first met me, you, you courted me, you spent time with me, you read the word, you worshiped me, you desired to be in my presence, and, and, and now you drifted away from your first love. And maybe that's some of you today. You drifted away from your first love, Jesus Christ. And he says, return to me. Begin to do the things you did at first. There's a, a, a second, a second love letter that Jesus writes to the church. Number two is this. Remain faithful. Remain faithful. This is to the church at Smyrna, the church of Smyrna. And you'll see this in Revelation chapter 2, verse 9 through 10. He says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I'll tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Friends, can I tell you that God wants a no matter what kind of church? 
He wants us to have a no matter what kind of faith. Because here's, here's the reality. is some people follow Jesus when things are good. But when things get tough, maybe in the relationship, the marriage, the workplace, with the kids and your finances, you know what happens to some people? Is their faith begins to waver. And Jesus says, what I want for my church is I want you to follow me even unto death. I want you to be faithful. And that, that's, that's for somebody in this place today. You're going through adversity. You're going through a tough time. And your faith is wavering. And Jesus says, what I want from you is I want you to be faithful to me. And you know one of the key ways that we remain faithful to Jesus is having good, solid Christian relationships. They can make all the difference when we're going through a difficult season in life. Now, I want you to hear me. I really want you to catch this. You will go through tough days. You will go through difficult times in life. You say, Pastor, I don't really like this. Could you be more positive? Okay. I'm positive that you will have tough days. I'm positive that you're going to have difficult days. And what you need in your life when you have difficult days are some Christian friends that can encourage you to keep serving Jesus. Stay in church. Stay in the Bible. Keep worshiping him. Stay faithful to God even on to death. That's why we have community groups. Man, that's why we encourage you to get in a community group because we know difficult days are coming and you need some Christian friends that can spur you on. That's why we have Wednesday night connection on Wednesday nights that you can study God's word, build some relationships for the entire family. I'm really disappointed that we had to cancel this past Wednesday night. The power went out in the entire building. Uh, nothing we could control. Thank God OG&E got it back up. But this week, we're going to make it up to you on Wednesday night connections. We're going to be serving barbecue with all the fixings this coming Wednesday night for you to come on out to fellowship, to build some relationships. I'm going to be teaching overcoming the, the difficulties of life this Wednesday night. Do not miss it. Bring your entire family. Get here early so that way you can go back to seconds when everybody is still working on first. All right? So get here early. Get here early. This Wednesday night. You, listen, you need relationships. When you go through a difficult season, you need some Christian friends so that you can remain faithful. Number three is this. The third letter Jesus writes to the church is restore balance. Restore balance. This is to the church at Pergamum. He says in Revelations chapter 2 and verse 14 and 15, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now, I understand this. This church was getting off into tangents. This church had weird doctrinal stuff going on. That they had people in the church who were holding to the teaching of, of Balaam. Basically, this is a loose kind of doctrine. In other words, it's just loose living. You just live however you want to live. You, you just do whatever you want to do. I mean, you just decide for yourself what's right and what's wrong. Just do what you want to do. And there were people in the church living this loose life, justifying itself. Well, God's gracious, God's merciful. I'll just live like I want to live. And then there were People, the Bible says, they were following the teaching of the Nicolaitans, which, which this teaching was the total opposite of, of looseness. This was legalism, being legalistic. And these people were going to the other extreme, and they were following Jesus out of legalistic rules. Some of you grew up in that. You can't wear makeup. You're going to go to hell if you wear makeup. 
Some of you grew up in that. You know what I mean? You got to wear your fancy best clothes to church or you can't come to church. Legalism. Legalism. You can't play football. It's sin. You can't go bowling. It's sin. You better not play tennis. They'll see your legs. It's sin. I mean, I mean, some of you know what I'm talking You grew up, everything was sin. You know what I mean? You couldn't blink right. I mean, if you blink, you sin. You're going to hell. And here's what Jesus says to, to, to this church that, that, that he says, restore balance. Listen, guys. He says, stay in the middle. Get good, solid doctrine in your life. Don't get off in the tangents. And, and hear me, that, that's why being in a good Bible teaching church is so important so that you don't get off in the tangents. That's why having good, solid Christian friendships are so important. Being in a small group, being in Wednesday Night Connection so that you don't get off in the tangents. That's why reading the Bible for yourself is so important so that you don't get off into tangents. Let me tell you, I love you. I'm your pastor, but some of you are weird, okay? You're weird, and, and I want to help you. I want to help you. Restore balance. You're weird. Amen. All right, let me move on. Number four is this. Remove impurity. Remove impurity. This is to the church of Thyatira in Revelation 2, verse Number 20, it says, nevertheless, I have, sent, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on her a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. Jesus says to this church, we'll move impurity. Repent, repent from your impurity. You know, I'm, I'm a germophobic. It's just kind of how I am, how I'm wired. I don't like germs. Matter of fact, I got my flu shot on Friday because I don't, I don't like to get sick. I, I take a vitamin every day. I got Germex everywhere. It's in my car. It's in my green room. It's in my office. Sometimes I'll carry it around in my pocket. I just, I'm just like that. I just put Germex on, wash my hands all the time. And you know what? What I don't like? Here's a pet peeve of mine. Now, I know this doesn't happen in the ladies' restroom, but it happens in the men's restroom, in the men's. Go in the men's restroom, and there'll be men that use the potty, number one and number two, will flush the toilet and leave without washing their hands. That's nasty. That is nasty. If you do that, you're nasty. That's right. I said it. You are nasty. Huh? Then I walk out the restaurant. You want to shake my hand. Hi, Pastor. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. And I got to shake it. You know, I got to shake it because you'll talk bad about me if I don't. If I got to go right back to the bathroom and wash my hands again. Nasty. I mean, I do everything I can to keep my hands clean. I don't want to get sick. I stay away from germs. And friends, can I tell you, we do all that for germs how much more we should do that for sin. Amen. Stay away from it. Don't play around with it. Don't dabble. Around. I mean, if I said the H1N1 virus is right here, you wouldn't come lick on it and touch it. You would run away from here. And some of you, you're dabbling around in sin. You're playing around with it. And you got to get your germex out. You got to get away from it. You got to run away from it. You got to hide, tell it out of there. Jesus said, listen, remove impurity. Remove impurity. Number five is this. Number five is this. Renew your zeal. Renew your zeal. This is to the church of Sardis. And he says in Revelations chapter 3 and verse 1 and 2, to the angel of the church in Sardis, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up 
strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Let me talk to those who've been following Jesus for some time. One of the dangers of going to church for years is that if you're not careful, you can get in a spiritual rut. You can just get used to it. You can find yourself going through the motions and in a rut spiritually. And everybody else around you thinks you're spiritually alive. And yet you know that you're dying spiritually. Still coming to church and singing the songs. But there's no vibrant relationship with Jesus. And Jesus says to this church of Sardis, listen, I know you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. He says, listen, church, I plead with you, wake up, wake up, strengthen what remains, get, get your passion back, get your zeal back, renew your zeal for me, and perhaps that's you today. Number six is this, number six, the sixth love letter is respect the Bible, respect the Bible. This is to the church of Philadelphia. Jesus says through, the, through John, as John writes this down, Revelations 3 and verse 8 says, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet I love this. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. He says, you kept my word. You honored my word. And friends, can I encourage you in these days that we're living in as we prepare for the end, respect the word of God. Honor the word of God. Reverence the word of God. Listen, the Bible is not like any other book. It is the inspired word of God. Don't put anybody else's opinion, reputation, or thoughts or words ahead of what God's word says. Respect the word, honor the word, live by the word, apply the word. And Jesus says, listen, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. And I tell you, people's church, respect the word of God, the Bible. Number seven is this. Number seven is this. My seventh love letter was recommit to Christ. Recommit to Christ. And this is to the church of Laodicea. And he writes in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 15, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And perhaps that's you. This is the church that you are. You're lukewarm. You're, you're dry. You're indifferent about your relationship with Jesus. And here's how Jesus wraps up the letters to the seven churches. And I love this. I love this. The heart of God. Revelations 3 and verse 20. Here I am, Jesus says. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he eat with me. Jesus said, listen, sir. Listen, ma'am, you're lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. You come to church, but you're lukewarm. He says, listen, I'm knocking at the door of your heart. And all I want you to do is open up the door and I'll come in and I'll, I'll sup with you. I'll eat with you. I'll fellowship with you. I'll put you on fire again. I want to be ready when Christ return, my heart to be ready, and I want yours to be ready as well. And let's apply what Jesus says to these seven churches, and let's make some adjustments today. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your presence.